0: While there are many truly important moments in the history of World of Warcraft, I'm here to argue that the most important, for better and worse, is the Battle of Angrathar, the Wrathgate, as seen in Wrath of the Lich King and soon to be experienced again by players in Wrath Classic. So many things that lead up, occur at, and evolve after this questline and cinematic are so important to the narrative and gameplay and lore direction of WoW, to the point that, if this were real life, the Wrathgate would be studied in history classes as a singular topic, akin to the Civil War or the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Unless you went to my high school, in which you stopped learning about history after, uh, you know, the Revolutionary War. Yay, Appalachian public school education! The Wrathgate is also important from a technical standpoint, as this was the first true in-game cinematic ever used by Blizzard, requiring some incredible workarounds and technical skill with their very limited game engine at the time. A video was just released with the cinematic director of WoW talking about some of the things they had to do to make this in-game cinematic happen, and I can't recommend it enough. But it includes things like having quality assurance testers play as NPCs during the filming of the footage, and using an add-on made for esports commentators who covered Arena at the time, so that the team could control the cameras and get the shots needed. I feel confident in saying that Wrath is the most important WoW expansion, and short of the Icecrown Citadel raid, the Wrathgate stands as a flashpoint for Azeroth. So today, on this special episode of Essence of Azeroth, we're going to talk about the before, during, after, when, why, where, and how of the Battle of Angrathar and the massacre of three armies at the dreaded Wrathgate. This is Essence of Azeroth. Special episodes like this are brought to you by support from our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash essence of Azeroth and from supporters like Melissa, Otto, and Brooke. Consider giving monthly to the podcast so that I have the ability to create more content such as this over at patreon.com forward slash essence of Azeroth. Programming on KPR is brought to you by funding from the Crossroads Sanctuary for a Brighter Tomorrow and the Olga Fund of the Barons, working to better the lives of those who have lost everything to the Quillbore. This is Calumdor Public Radio. Did you think we had forgotten? Did you think we had forgiven? Behold now, the terrible vengeance of the Forsaken! Tragedy strikes the Northrend War Campaign on two sides, as a third party ensures death and loss in Central Dragonblight. Stay tuned for more information on the Calamity at the Wrathgate. It's Tuesday, May 11th, and you're listening to All Things Considered. Say, friend, you got a mount that just ain't getting used around Durotar anymore? Is that raptor looking a bit long in the tooth, but you don't want to say so long and send her off to the old glue factory? Well, KPR has what you need, friend, with our mounts for cash program. You give us that busted old mare, and we give you hard, cold cash, with the mounts going towards helping orphans or sad blood elves or whatever. Oh, and helps keep KPR on the air. So I'm being told. So, what are you waiting for? Time is money, friend, so give us your wobbly old mount today. We're months away from the launch of a new World of Warcraft expansion that appears to be moving on from some heavy plot threads that players have been dealing with for almost literally a decade. While Shadowlands may not be everyone's favorite expansion, it is the conclusion to many characters' stories, including Sylvanas Windrunner, a polarizing lower figure if there ever was one. At first, seen as the cool, undead waifu of the Horde, it wasn't until Wrath of the Lich King that her plot began to shift and change, setting up for future events that would spiral out of the campaign to kill Arthas and stop the Scourge threat. And now? I didn't think it was possible for Blizzard to turn a character heel so hard that fans would legit begin to hate said character. But here we are with the conclusion of the Shadowlands, Sylvanas' story seemingly done for now, and a lot of lore fans saying good riddance. But how do we get here, to the end of this long and winding road that now leaves a World of Warcraft without a definitive way forward for the first time in a long while? After all, the Horde is now whole and has leadership that isn't an expansion away from turning into a raid boss, the Alliance is in the midst of some soul-searching, the Scourge, the Naga, and every other major enemy faction are all but put down, and the Burning Legion threat appears to still be on the back burner. Life is good in Azeroth, I guess. That's weird. But getting to this point, all began way back when, and I'm a firm believer that the road we all just traveled started in one very important place— at the Wrathgate of Angramar in Northrend, featuring a battle between multiple armies, a sudden betrayal, a villain backed into a corner, a greater conspiracy, and two heroes, whose fates would shift and sway two nations back and forth into war, while also trying to save Azeroth from eradication. This is to say that the battle at the Wrathgate is a flashpoint for numerous storylines, but also requires a lot of things to be placed into motion. So... Let's start with the basics before we get too deep into the weeds on this. Let's start with Northrend and the Wrath of the Lich King expansion. After suffering defeat in eastern Plaguelands and taking a break through all of Burning Crusade, Arthas and the Scourge war machine began to churn once more, serving as somewhat of a failsafe for the Burning Legion's plans, just in case their machinations at the Sunwell fell through. Which they did. The Scourge begin to more broadly plan an open attack on the rest of Azeroth proper, sending plagues into the cities and raising a new army of undead warriors, called the Death Knights, above the Plague Lands. And this is where the Death Knight player class story picks up, which I'm sure you've all been doing so you can get your free mount in retail. And this is where Arthas begins to falter. It's this attack on Light's Hope Chapel with his new army that he not only loses control of said army, but also plays a part in the cleansing of the Great Cursed Blade Ashbringer, the weapon that will eventually bring his downfall. Having lost his new army and his foothold in the Eastern Kingdoms, Arthas retreats to Northrend proper and essentially tells the Alliance and Horde to come and get me. At this point, the Horde and Alliance are on shaky terms, but not all-out war unless you only play PvP, in which case it's all-out war all the time. Both sides worked together in Outland and at the Sunwell, and in some cases all-out truces were called in the case of the Blood Elf Paladins and the cleansing of the Narumuru Muru at the Sunwell. Honestly, it's the first time in a great while that the Horde and Alliance aren't immediately at each other's throats, and both agree to an attack strategy on Northrend with Garrosh Hellscream taking the western end in Borean Tundra, and Sylvanas and her navy covering the shores of the east. Meanwhile, the Alliance are following suit, while helping to establish the middle of Dragonblight, with both meeting in the middle at Dalaran, which is floating just above Icecrown itself. The general strategy was simple. Push in from all sides until meeting Icecrown Citadel, and in Arthas in his own house. However, this strategy required a way into Ice Crown itself that wouldn't lead to instant death, as the Citadel and actual zone of Ice Crown is a locked down, barren wasteland filled to the brim with waves of undead. And if you're wondering what the Wrathgate and those other gates that create a spoke around Ice Crown are, if you look at the map, they are literally holding pens for the massive amount of undead that are built up in Northrend. You see this to some extent in the Wrath opening cinematic as the zombie army essentially forms a fleshy barrier around any and all entryways into Ice Crown Citadel. There's nothing hospitable about the zone of Ice Crown itself, which is why there aren't even any flight paths or encampments for either side of the zone until well after the quest lines are kicked off. And it's not just the zombie army that makes it a difficult area to pierce. It is also the literal terrain. Icecrown is layers upon layers of Serenite ore, a rock and mineral substance created from thousands of years of the trapped old god Yogg-Saron, imprisoned underneath Northrend and bleeding out into the very ground, creating this hardy and poisonous metal. So, of course, the first thing Arthas does is build a castle made out of the stuff around the original Frozen Throne, essentially creating a beacon of dark whispers out of the entire zone, you see this play out in the Ice Crown quests as you venture down into the mines and witness slaves brought into those mines that are taking care of the Sarnite and throwing themselves into the Dark abyss as Yogg-Saron breaks out of his prison. But that is another story for another time, with the Horde and Alliance now seeing only one way into the House of the Devil himself, Angrathar, the Wrathgate a direct one-way entrance into Icecrown Citadel and the deployment area for the entire Scourge army. Both sides set up camps at the Wrathgate, with Dranosh Sarfang of the Horde and Bolvar Ford Dragon of the Alliance holding a truce of war support in calling out the Lich King and attempting to strike a blow in the war campaign once and for all. As for Arthas, his plan has been simple all along. He knows the armies of Azeroth are coming and is bringing their best adventurers, i.e. you, the players of World of Warcraft. The Lich King expects this and has been in the ears of the player all throughout the expansion, with the intent being, as we find out later in the Icecrown raid, that Arthas wanted the Horde and Alliance to send their best warriors into his home so that he could convert them into an elite army that nobody could stop. And to this point, things haven't gone very well for the Scourge in Northrend. Their footholds in Zoldrak lost, their armies in An'kahet gone, and pressure coming in from literally all sides. Arthas loses his cool and takes the bait, coming out in person for the first time at the Wrathgate as Horde, and Alliance armies stand at the ready of Northern Dragonflight and begin the assault at Angrathar. However, there's a wild card at work here and one that requires some backtracking. The Royal Apothecary Society, under the direction of Sylvanus, has been years and years of work on a new strain of the Forsaken Plane that would prove deadly to those alive and undead alike. With Grand Apothecary Putris taking the charge on this new blight and testing it out on humans and Turncoat Forsaken, creating a weapon with one purpose kill Arthas once and for all. No matter the cost. Or, at least, one purpose in the eyes of Sylvanas. However, another plot is at work involving the dreadlord Veramathus, a Forsaken leader that has been loyal to the Burning Legion as a double agent, and a promise of revenge against the enemy of life itself on part of the Apothecaries, and Forsaken who believe that they'll only be truly be safe and free once and for all if all life on Azeroth is removed. We see Sylvanas give the go-ahead for the use of the Blight in the novel Sylvanas, with her telling Putris to not hesitate to use the Blight if it means killing the Lich King, which Putris takes as a command to use it no matter the collateral damage. And so we have our wild card in place in the form of a false flag operation, hiding two forms of retribution. The stage is set, and the battle rages forward. No one will make it out unscathed. The Wrathgate cinematic and event is no longer viewable in-game thanks to the changes made to the game's engine and world in Cataclysm, so in many ways this big event is a bit of lost media. Yeah, the original cinematic is on YouTube, and there was even an updated and remastered Machinima version a few years back, but it's still strange that this big thing that is no longer in the game despite it being a literal turning point for the Wrath expansion... I guess it's good that Wrath Classic came out today, right? The Wrathgate is basically the halfway point of the expansion, with events like the attack on War, the Argent Tournament, and the assault on Icecrown and the Citadel all taking place after. But before all that is total war, betrayal, and a shifting of the powers at hand. Four Dragon and Sarfang the Younger lead the charge into the Wrathgate, cutting down undead on foot and on the backs of the Frostwolf Brigade, the armies from both sides of the continent coming together to push in on one singular blockade that separates them from the frozen throne and Arthas. However, in a turn that was both part of the plan but completely unexpected, Arthas appears in person and in the flesh. Exposed and standing in front of players for the first time, despite having pestered said player in visions for their entire visit to Northrend thus far. And so, the Horde and Alliance stand side by side at the gate, the full power of Azeroth standing at the door of the Lich King. It's all downhill from here. Seeing the chance to end the encounter and a decade of bloodshed, Sarfang rushes forward in an attempt to kill the Lich King. It's a fatal move, as Arthas reminds one and all why he is the Lich King after all, and kills Dranosh in a single strike, draining the orc's soul into Frostborn and damning him like so many before. The death of Dranosh isn't given long to linger, because as Arthas prepares to move forward, our wild card appears in the form of the royal apothecary's leader, Puatris, an army of the Forsaken and a fleet of catapults with the new perfected blight all ready to strike on the ridge above Angrathar. Putris's speech is one of the best in World of Warcraft, if only for its sheer conviction. It's easy to forget that the Forsaken are a people created against their will and turned away by their former compatriots. Early in the formation of the Forsaken, Sylvanas sent emissaries to both the Horde and Alliance in an attempt to find some kind of safety in a place in the world. It was the emissaries sent to Stormwind that never came back, with the Horde at least hearing to reason that the Forsaken people were owed some kind of chance at redemption, both literal or spiritual, and to rise above their station as undead former tools of the Lich King. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is a moment that many on the side of the living had been waiting for, as the Forsaken were let into the Horde while still being kept on a short leash. It's why the first word out of Arthas' mouth is the name of the woman he knew would come eventually, Sylvanas. The catapults attack, covering the battlefield in caustic green ooze. Horde, Alliance, and Scourge alike all burn and sizzle and melt down into the primal elements that make up a being. In a surprise, Arthas is not only damaged by the attack, but is forced to retreat and almost dies here and there. He's one of the few to make it out, as both the Horde and Alliance armies are totaled, including the Alliance leader Bulvar Four Dragon, who writhes in agony as the blight burns his flesh and he dies. And then from the skies and from the nearby dragon temple, the red dragon flight appear. The red flight represents life, and so a cleansing flame sweeps over the field and removes chemical waste while also putting out the flames on Four Dragon's body. Now, this is a moment that is actually foreshadowed if you do the Dragon Blight quest lines um, over in the, I believe, it is the Red Dragonflight like temple area, in which you see Red Dragon flame used to remove caustic energy. The dragons also destroy the Forsaken catapults before flying away once more. With Alexstrasza and her consort later being there at the Arath Gate, set in the after moments of the phasing. When the event has already happened, and used to be able to re watch the event from there. However, there's an important point here that some people will miss, and maybe this plays into something in the future events. I don't know. Alex Straza at all knew that Four Dragons' body was taken by the Scourge and said nothing to nobody because they weren't getting involved. And I have to imagine that both sides, uh, Horde and Alliance, would have something to say about that if they ever found out. However, a story for another day. Nothing is left, save for a wounded Lich King who retreats back to the Citadel. The bodies of Sarfang and Four Dragon are gone, both dragged away by the Scourge forces and taken to Icecrown Citadel. Both will play a major part in the raid's story, and Four Dragon will continue to play a larger role as the Lich King after the events of Wrath. But while all this is going on, another battle begins back in the Eastern Kingdoms and the Undercity, as the turncoat dreadlord Veramathras I'm going to say that right eventually, I promise. Verimathras and Forsaken loyal to him take over the Undercity with Putris. Players on both sides then head to Undercity to take part in a raid to remove Putris and Verimathras. What's interesting is that both Alliance and Horde members get a different dialogue offer- offering from the Dreadlord, but to no avail, the demon is defeated along with Putris. Varimothris would return in Legion as a raid boss in Antorus the Burning Throne, being tortured by the Shivara Demons for his failures to hold Undercity. And while Undercity is back under forsaken control, there are caveats, distrust, and a long lineage of hatred that now stem from this event. After the dust settles at Angrathar, players are somewhat left to watch Horde and Alliance pick up the pieces and attempt to continue their war campaign, though both sides are now shattered and without their two main generals out in the field. The Horde accepts Sylvanas' word that she had nothing to do with the Blight attack, but Warchief Thrall and company have no proof one way or another, leading to a newfound distrust of the Forsaken. Thrall stations the Orcish Korkron War Guard at Undercity, now the capital's guards in place of the former Forsaken Abominations. Meanwhile, two things of note are happening in the Wrath of the Lich King campaign. The first is the beginning of the Old War raid content, with the old god Yog Seran breaking loose of his bondage in the bowels of the Titan Forged facility and requiring immediate attention, of which will happen without any continued Alliance Horde partnership. It's here that King Varian of the Alliance mentions that the events of the Wrathgate are the reason he refuses to work with the Horde in a joint campaign in War, leading both armies to find their own ways. At the same time, a new path must be found in Icecrown, leading players down a side assault in the Valley of Echoes and literally building the encampments of the Argent Crusade, who along with the Ebon Maul are keeping a tenuous peace between Horde and Alliance players, begrudgingly. It's in this that the Argent Tournament campgrounds are forged, attempting to both give the armies of Azeroth some respite, while also training and determining who will be strong enough to tackle the assault on Icecrown, thus giving us the reasoning for the Argent Tournament raid, the Trial of the Grand Crusader. However, those Horde and Alliance resentments fill up once more, as halfway through the raid, and depending on your faction, you will face off against a PvP arena-style boss fight against the opposite faction— Argent Crusader leader Tyrion Fordring attempts to stop the fight, but to no avail. A shallow and tragic victory. We are weaker as a whole from the losses suffered today. Who but the Lich King could benefit from such foolishness? Great warriors have lost their lives, and for what? The true threat looms ahead. The Lich King awaits us all in death. Somehow, against all odds, though with one more Horde alliance encounter in the form of an crown Citadel boss fight on a ship, the day is won and the Lich King is killed at the peak of the Frozen Throne. However, both sides remain in shambles. The Night Elves have cut off all trading with the Horde, causing starvation and political dissent in Orgrimmar, which, in addition to the Cataclysm caused by Deathwing, causes Thrall to step down as Warchief and placing his friend and mostly adversary Garrosh Hellscream into power, who will ramp up the Horde versus Alliance tensions, all while leading to his own corruption and the Siege of Orgrimmar, which leads to Vulgin of the Darkspear Trolls to becoming Warchief, before he too is struck down, and in his last moments curiously names Sylvanas as Warchief of the Horde. And as we find out in the Shadowlands, the culprit of that was Mazala, the antithesis, an enemy of Bwonsamdi, who was the former god of death that had been corrupted by the Jailer. And it's in Sylvanas that we see an escalation of Horde-Alliance distrust, with Jaina Proudmoore now fully against the Horde, and the fourth war kicking off, all part of Sylvanas' new plan that was formulated when, in the wake of Arthas' death, she flung herself off the peaks of Icecrown Citadel and landed into the realm of the Jailer thus starting the path that would lead to the Shadowlands. And that's just one through-line of what spirals out of the Wrathgate. In all honesty, the invasion of Pandaria, the battle for Azeroth, Garrosh's corruption, Sylvanas' betrayal, it all spins out of the Wrathgate, which leads us to one major lore question. Did Sylvanas intentionally order the Blight attack on all sides? Given where the storylines go through battle for Azeroth and Shadowlands, it would be easy to believe that this was all part of the plan the entire time, and Blizzard has attempted to make this sound like the case in interviews about the direction of lore in regards to the Banshee Queen. However, I don't think that's the case while also believing that Sylvanas was able to take advantage of the situation. After all, A lot of the evidence here hinges on the word of a dreadlord being true, in that he tells players during the Battle of Undercity that Sylvanas was behind everything. Which requires us to believe a single word out of the dreadlord's mouth. A thing you should not do. So, which is it? I think the answer is yes and... Yes, Sylvanas clearly gave the go-ahead to use the Blight, but I don't think at the time she could have predicted that it would result in the death of two major military leaders and her temporarily losing her capital and sway in the Horde in the process. After all, to this point, Sylvanas had one motivating factor—kill Arthas by any means. However, all of this clearly ends up setting the Horde and Alliance down a path that, given her turn later after meeting the Jailer when she tries to kill herself, ends up being beneficial— The distrust between Horde and Alliance leads to mass casualties and an opportunity for her to empower the Jailer's forces in the Mall, take control of the Horde, and continues until the father of Sarfang the Younger takes a stand outside the gates of Orgrimmar and reveals the true Sylvanas Windrunner in front of the entire Horde, losing his life in the process. So I disagree with the idea that this long con was even longer. I think it mere coincidence, but it doesn't mean that Sylvanas giving consent to the use of the Blight wasn't the thing that sets off a decade of pain and misery for everyone involved. After all, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand was just supposed to be the offing of a political official, and look where it got us. It's entirely possible that without the events of the Wrathgate, that the Horde and Alliance could have mended fences and maybe even made nice. It's hard to tell if Thrall would have still given up the mantle of Warchief, but without the Wrathgate, trade relations with the Elves would still be in place, and Garrosh wouldn't have had cause to escalate his vendetta. But what-ifs have no place in the course of history. Unless you're in the Caverns of Time, in which case, it's all fair game. But I think the events of the Shadowlands, with Sylvanas now serving penance in the Maul... The Night Elves forgiving the actions of the Horde, and the Horde now being led by a council that all have ties to the Alliance, all serve to say that we're in a new era of Azeroth where we can't predict the future of what's next. Dragonflight is wide open, and while the return of the Dragonflights themselves doesn't seem like a thing that doesn't come without its own issues, for the first time in a long while, Azeroth has healed the oldest of wounds and burns once formed on a cold battleground of betrayals. As always, thank you for listening to Essence of Azeroth this week. Please take the time to review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us and read us on Spotify, and consider joining with a monthly donation on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash essence of Azeroth. Next time on Essence of Azeroth, the theology episode— uh, Wait, no, I forgot. We did that already. Um We'll look at the history of the Dragonflights, the fight against Galakrond, and why it kind of sucks to be a dragon in World of Warcraft, all in preparation of the Dragonflight expansion. Until next time. Time is money, friend.